Welcome to the Book Club Girl podcast, where we chat about great books with awesome authors, and you, our listeners, ask the questions. I'm Alexa. On today's episode, we're talking about a novel that is mostly set in China. And so we wanted to sort of briefly chat about other books that are also set in China. And one that has been on my radar for years is a science fiction novel, Three Body Problem by Tsi Xing Liu. And it's an award-winning sci-fi novel. Um, I think it won the Hugo. And while it's sci-fi, and the book that we're talking about today is definitely like a literary novel, um, I have main characters who are scientists. Ah. Well, I will quibble and say that sci-fi can be literary as well. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> I'm Tavia Kowalchuk, and I went through my bookshelf, and I think app in my reading history. So I'm a little embarrassed, and I'm glad I read this book to start to fill it. But I have read a memoir set in China, and it's by an American. So it's not own voices, but it's Rivertown by Peter Hessler. China to live in this town on the banks of a river as a Peace Corps volunteer. And he writes about this town because it's about to be flooded to make an electrical dam. But I'm so excited that we're going to talk about Little Gods because I definitely more books set in China. Yeah, and this is a good one. On today's show, the story of one brilliant and enigmatic woman's premature death and her teenage daughter who returns from the U.S. to China to try and uncover the mystery of her mother's life. Today, we are beautiful debut novel, Little Gods, and later in the show, we chat with author Meng Jin. Before we get started, we're very happy to share that we have a new review of the podcast posted on Apple Podcasts. Ah, so cool. It was from someone named, quote, book lover. We have to agree with that. Here is what they say. I really enjoy your podcast. There is a likability factor at play here pleasant voices, and most importantly, great books. Intelligent questions. I have to admit, I do look forward to everyone's literary white well answers. Aww. Aww. That is so nice. I think that we're very likable as well, but I'm biased. <laughs> <laughs> and we look forward to those white whale answers. In 2021, we will finally get around to some of our literary white whales. And the interesting intelligent questions are completely the fault of our listeners because we ask your questions. So thank you That's for that. That's right. Thank you. And now we present Little Gods Abridged. In 1980s China, a quiet female student surprises her classmates by getting the top grade in the class. Her name is Su Lan, and she goes on to an ambitious higher education and early in Shanghai. Two of her male high school classmates pursue Sulan romantically, and she finally agrees to marry on the condition that they have no children. But shortly thereafter, Sulan becomes pregnant and goes into labor when she and her husband are in Beijing on June 4th, 1989. Sulan's daughter, Leah, is born in a Beijing hospital with the protests of Tiananmen Square raging just outside. And when the two return to their home in Shanghai, Sulan's husband is not with them. Later, Sulan is found dead in her small apartment in the United States. While still in touch regularly, Sulan and her daughter Leah had a strained relationship over the years. So when Leah receives the call about her mother's death, she decides to return to China to uncover the mysteries. 
What follows is a mesmerizing story about ambition, motherhood, time and space, and ghosts. It's a beautiful novel that was longlisted for the Center for Fiction First Novel Prize. What did you think, Tavia? I have so many thoughts about Little Gods, but I'm going to start with this concept of ghosts that we mentioned in the abridged. I thought that Leah was a bit of a ghost herself. She really is a real person in the book, but she rarely asserts herself in this book. She just sort of hovers in the background and the stories that are told are hers because these people are related to her of her mother and her father Mm. and she sort of watches their life from afar yeah Leah is such an interesting character I was really compelled by they're all interesting by Sulan she was this brilliant mind achieved a lot of academic success and you know sort of became obsessed with this complicated theory and physics. Maybe we can ask the author a little bit about it. Her story was sort of very tragic that she ended up sort of walking away from ultimately getting her PhD and pursuing this work at the next level and sort of doing it as like a hobby or a side hustle kind of thing in order to have a regular day job and um, and raise her daughter. And it was a little, you know, definitely like a heartbreaking book. Yeah, Sulan doesn't come to America and sort of fulfill the American dream for herself. Even more fascinating to me than the the sort of physics subplot of the book, I was entranced by Sulan's two dueling suitors. I loved the love story plot line. I think this says a lot of <laughs> But There's these two men. There's the the man that she marries and her unrequited lover. And they both have their moment in the sun as narrators and as sort of actors in the story. And Mm -hmm. um, I just, I really enjoyed that storyline. Yeah, totally. I feel like all the portrayals here of, of the romance, of the professional ambition, of sort of, you know, identity, they're all so complicated beautifully done. I really felt like the portrayal of motherhood was especially so. There were some really lovely scenes where there's some real tenderness between Sulan and Leah, especially when Leah is very young and they're in close proximity all the time. They spend all their time together. They're very close. Leah really looks up to her mother. And then, you know, in another like sort of heartbreaking turn, they sort of grow apart as Leah gets older. You know, I think that tension between mothers and daughters is a classic setup for a good novel. I feel like we've cu- talked about other books where there's been this sort of parent-child dynamic. I would be remiss if I did not mention the historical setting of this book. So part of it's at present day. It is set during the protests in Tiananmen Square. I remember watching those protests on the news when I was a child, and they just absolutely captured my imagination. I was totally buying into the idealism and I thought it was so romantic about these protests from a, you know, a native Chinese person's point of view, the character and what it really was like to be on the ground during that time. I believe that this is probably what it was like for many people who were there. It was 
fascinating. And I, I really, I can't wait to ask the author why she chose that moment for, mm-hmm. for all of, you know, these crucial events to happen in the book. Yeah, that's definitely a central sort of moment that sort of the book, the book isn't like linear, like you're saying, it goes back time and it sort of like revisits some of the same moments. Like the book opens with the scene, with Tiananmen Square and then it sort of returns to that moment later. Another moment that for me sort of felt like, not like a tipping point, but just like great scene was when Leah has come back to China to try to find out more about her mother's life and also to sort of find out about her father, who he was. She never knew him. And she thinks that maybe she's chased him down and talking to this person about it. And I won't say who the person is because it's a bit of a spoiler, but this person sort of had known her mother and was sort of conjuring up this like fantasy about who her mother had become and physicist working in the United States. And she had achieved all of the success and finally published her work and gotten all of the renown and that maybe, you know, the letters that she had written this person would be collected someday in the way that a university collects the papers of famous people. We know from the outset of the book that that's not what happened to Sulan, that she sort of died this lonely, anonymous person. And it's just like so tragic, this like unfulfilled promise, like you were saying, the fulfillment of of the dream. Um, obviously, this is a, um, a really complex and fascinating book, and I'm really excited to speak with the author. Me too. I can't wait. Cheers, Tavia. Cheers, Eliza quick reminder from you, especially now that we're working from home. Join our Facebook group, The Book Club Girls, where you can stay connected with other book lovers and pose your own questions to authors who appear on our show. You can find us at facebook.com slash The Book Club Girls. And stay tuned after the show for a short exclusive sample from The Little Gods audiobook. Today, we're joined by Meng Jin, whose book, Little Gods, is out now. And just to get that we had a few technical issues partway through the interview, so you might notice a little bit of a difference in the audio in the later part of our conversation with Meng. Welcome to the Book Club Girl podcast, Meng. We are so happy to have you join us. Having me, I'm so delighted to be here. I'm going to jump right in. The protests at Tiananmen Square are the background to two central events in Little Gods. What inspired you to choose that moment in history to be setting for this and to be a part of your novel? I've always been really drawn to this moment in history. Um, I think for a number of reasons. One, because it is such a pivotal moment in um, contemporary Chinese history, a turning point when, you know, China was opening up to the West, to the world after the Cultural Revolution, and everyone had so much hope for the direction that the country was going in. The protest movement and the end of the protest movement, um, I guess the failure of the protest movement, the Chinese Communist Party learned a huge lesson from that movement and changed course turned their energies towards economic development and ensuring that everyone would feel free to sort of purchase and consume instead of free to, you know, live in a democracy and gambled that that would keep 
people happy. And that's sort of really set the course for what China looks like today and the rapid economic growth that it's seen in the last 30 years. Um, and drawn to this moment for personal reasons. So I was actually born in the spring of 1989, um, not on June 4th, uh, like my character Leah, but in May. A lot of people don't know that the protests actually for um, many months. So while my mom was pregnant with me and while she was giving birth, you know, she could hear protests, chanting, going past the window. And one story that my dad told me really he said that because his alma mater was in Beijing and was what, you know, the students in the Beijing universities were really leading the protest movement. So he told me that if it had I had just been born, he would have been there. And I think that just that question of like, what if he had gone? <laughs> You know, what if he hadn't been a responsible father and husband <laughs> stuck? Um, and that became the seed of the plot of Little Gods. Wow. One of the other sort of foundational elements of Little Gods to me was Sulon's career ambition as a physicist, as a scientist, and her sort of obsession and devotion to her theory about the passage of time. Can I ask, why did you decide such an integral part of the story? And, and what did you want to explore with Sulan's theory? Yeah, I always knew that Sulan was going to be a woman scientist, um, because I wanted to write a woman scientist. And for a long time, scientist she would be. But around the time that I was working on the book, I just was also reading a lot of these sort of popular science books about physics written by theoretical physicists for um, people who don't know me. One of them was, you know, the Stephen Hawking's famous A Brief History of Time, Carlo Rovelli's numerous books, Seven Brief Lessons in Physics. And the way that wrote about theoretical physics was so moving to me and so beautiful to me that I just wanted to do it as well. <laughs> I think that, you know, there's this impulse that a lot of writers and artists have where if, when you see something, make something beautiful. And reading those books also helped me see a way in which I could write about science that in a, an almost poetic way that wasn't you know, sort of science feels like in pop culture, like this, you know, Bill Nye the Science Guy, like, ooh, <laughs> science laboratories, like we're going to make a potion and we're going to explode <laughs> something and sort of connect that feeling science and scientific concepts to aesthetics and to the way that people think about art and beauty. Sulan's neighbor, Zhu Wen, sees ghosts, her husband and what is the significance of ghosts in your book? Well, my book is interested in the past and Sulan in particular is interested in leaving the past behind, in erasing the past. 
ghost is, for me, I guess, a haunting from the past. And I guess I did write a ghost into the book, but I don't think of it as as like a ghost. I don't think of it as like you know, like Casper, <laughs> or like <laughs> apparition. I think of <laughs> you know ghosts sort of as in the same category as memory and haunting. I think so much of what drove my interest in this book, the things in my past that haunted me. And this desire to get to the source of that haunting, to no longer be haunted by places and images, and to no longer be haunted by them by writing them out, and so that's probably why I was drawn to writing about ghosts. I'm gonna ask you another question about Sulan. Because she's such a complex character, and we learn from early in the book that she's a hardworking, brilliant student with an intellectual ambition, and other characters see her sort of potential and promise. You know, in one reading of the book, certainly she really doesn't fulfill that potential at all. You know, she sort of ends up not achieving. A PhD in her field and not really on her theory or, or anything like that. And so I guess, you know, do you see her as a character with a lot of unfulfilled promise? And if so, why do you think that she does not um, sort of reach that potential? Yeah, as a character with unfulfilled potential, I think that it's not so much that she didn't reach her potential as the world didn't let her. And I guess I wanted to write. I'm really drawn to about women in particular who are promising and bright and intelligent, but for whatever reason they aren't able to fulfill their dreams. So in researching this, a lot of biographies of physicists, and many of them are male. There's a couple of. Women physicists, for example, when I was reading Albert Einstein's biography, I feel like there's often an untold story of all the people who were cooking for them and cleaning for them and taking care of their children, typing for them.、Um, you know, writing out their. Often those people are women, and there's this way in which. I think American culture, in particular, just loves the idea of the you know the pick yourself up by the bootstrap story of the self-made. I just wanted to sort of tell a story that would expose the flaws of that mythology and show how nobody really can be self-made, and if you try to be like Sula, if you sort of. Are stubbornly independent and don't ask for help. And if the world doesn't sort of just offer you help naturally based on your social position, then it might not work out. You're listening to the Book Club Girl podcast, where our guest this week is Meng Jin, whose book Little Gods is out now. You can read more about Little Gods at bookclubgirl.com/podcast. Coming up on the Book Club Girl podcast, 
questions. And later in the show, we ask about her literary white whale. So stick around. This episode of the Book Club Girl podcast is brought to you by Searching for Sylvie Lee by Jean Kwok, which is now in paperback. You might remember with Jean about this beautiful novel last year. Searching for Sylvie Lee tells the story of a woman who disappears while visiting family in the Netherlands and her adoring younger sister who must trace Sylvie's steps and find out what happened. This is a book club favorite, Searching for Sylvie Lee, Jenna Today Show Book Club, and the Bellatrice Book Club, plus of course ours, available now in paperback wherever books are sold. Welcome back to the show. This episode, we're speaking with Meng Jin, author of Little Gods. Leah's relationship with Sulan, which was so interesting and nuanced. They seem so close when Leah is really little and almost codependent. They spend all their time together. Sulan brings her when she's working, and Leah seems to really idolize her mother. And even though Sulan said, you know, we realize later in the book that Sulan has said that she didn't want children. As Leah grows older, they fight and grow apart. Their relationship ended up the way that it did. I think that there's something natural that happens with mothers and daughters to begin with. There's an inevitable close you're young because motherhood is so intimate and taxing. It's not really like Sulan had a choice given her circumstances about how much time she was spending with her daughter, right? Babies are <laughs> And so I think that's part of it. But I think another thing is that Sulan brings Leah to, to the United States of America. And because of that, she makes her daughter into a stranger. And she's, Sulan's so excited about this possibility of, of giving Leah the freedom of not having a history. But with any sort of intergenerational immigrant story, there's a sort of rift that happens when one becomes strange to the other, even on the very sort of simple level of language. Um, Sulan speaks Chinese mostly. She's never had an aptitude for languages, and her consciousness exists fully in Chinese whereas Leah's exists most fully in English. And, you know, this is something that I myself have thought about a lot and experienced, just the heartache of not able to fully know your family or the people who you love most, just because I can't express myself in Chinese in the way that I can in English. I want to shift gears a little bit and ask you about the two men in Sulan's life. I really enjoyed the romantic subplot. And I feel like each man had a, their own different approach and their own special relationship with Sulan. How do they each affect her life's trajectory? So there's sort of a love triangle. There are two men vying for Sulan's love. The three of them are all at the top of the class and also simultaneously vying for the top spot in the class. It was really fun for me to write this love triangle as well. Enjoyed reading it. Sambu has a similar background as Sulan. He's a scholarship student from the countryside. And, you know, he grew up, you know, farming, doing field work in poverty. Then, then 
the other students in their class. And Yongsung is on the opposite end of that spectrum. And Suan has to decide whether she wants to be with the person who can see who she is or the person who projects a mirage of her. Sulan is sort of tragically obsessed with her own mirage of herself. And so I won't give, I'll try not to give anything away, but she ends up making a choice that takes her closer to her own mirage of herself. All right, we have one more question for you, Meng, before we let you go. Every episode, we ask an author, what is your literary white? So that's a book you've always meant to read or one that you started reading and just have never gotten around to finishing. So what is your literary white whale? Oh, man, that's tough. Well, I guess maybe I started reading Truth in Search of Lost Time, and I read the first one. And I've always, I've always wanted to read all six, but uh, the first one was, I mean, it was, I loved parts of it, but parts of it were, it, it's, it's a little boring sometimes. <laughs> the sentence is very long. Yeah, you're in good company. We actually, I think we had one other guest on our show that said the remembrance of things past was there white whale too. Well, for joining us. This was so great to have you on the show. We love talking about Little Gods. It was such a fantastic read. I think there's so much here for book clubs. And um, congratulations on the paperback publication. Thank you so much for having me. A delight. Whose book, Little Gods, is out now. To find out more about Mung's novel and how to buy it, head to bookclubgirl.com, where you can also find links to everything mentioned in this episode. Like what you heard? Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, give us a rating and leave a review. Another way to help spread the word about the Book Club Girl podcast, tell a friend. It really helps others to find us. You'll hear from us again in two weeks when we'll be speaking with author of The Pearl That Broke Its Shell. If you want to read the book before the podcast interview drops, head over to hc.com and use promo code BOOKCLUBGIRL, all one word, for 25% off and free shipping for any book podcast. Please stay in touch with us between episodes. We're both on Instagram. Find us at Tavia Reads and at Eliza is Reading and, of course, at BOOKCLUBGIRL. You can join in our next conversation. We'll be speaking with author author of the fan favorite rom-com, Get a Life, Chloe Brown. If you have questions for Talia, you can email us, thegirls at bookclubgirl.com, post in the comments on our Facebook group, or leave us a voicemail, 212-207-7. Before we go, a big thank you to Charles de Montebello, who produced today's episode, to Maureen Cole for introducing us to Mung, and to Kate Ninzel, Mung's fantastic editor at Custom House. Until next time, I'm Eliza. And I'm talking. Yes, they are back. They have come to Beijing this month. They are going into business. Professor Zong blinked and ran his fingers under his eyes. I looked straight at him. His weakness egged me on. They are working on, on a new technology with a Chinese venture capitalist, a machine that combines both their fields of expertise, physics and medicine. As I said it, I realized it was true. 
My father had been a doctor. In the trunks with his photographs there had been a doctor's coat and stethoscope. Many medical textbooks. It... I paused, reaching for some obscure fact, some glob of scientific nonsense. The technology aims to use Cherenkov light to treat late-stage tumors non-invasively. Professor Zong murmured. Lan Lan was always interested in optics. Mom's a tenacious woman, I continued. I said mom in English and the rest of the sentence in Chinese. I said it like I was from Hong Kong and had gone to international school, like some hip cosmopolitan mongrel. These investments are hard to land, but she gave such convincing pitches that the investors were lining up to give her money. Of course, it doesn't hurt that Daddy's an expert in cancer treatment. They're very rich, I said, emphasizing my new pronoun. I looked disdainfully around the office, at the drooping plant, at his simple clothes, at the thin plastic cup in my hand, hoping to illustrate to Professor Zong his relative poverty. Cruelty was so easy. It was exhilarating. I tossed the letter with the marriage proposal on the table next to the ashtray and widened my eyes. We were going through some old junk, since we're selling the apartment in Shanghai. That's how I found this. Long moments passed, listening to the sound of breath. My tea turned light brown, the leaves unfurled and sunk to the bottom. I haven't thought about them in so long, Professor Zhang said at last. So they're happy? Happy and healthy? I'm glad. I'm so glad. We continued to talk. The professor asked questions about my mother's life, and I supplied answers. I became an expert at inventing. I filled in the negative image of my mother's life, perhaps as I'd always imagined it might have gone, if she had been a different person, less stubborn, more ambitious for worldly things, if she had wanted anything instead of wanting nothing. If I had the thought and pushed it away, if she hadn't had me, or had someone else to help her raise me, or if I'd been a better daughter, more self-sufficient, more supportive, more like an adult. In this alternate life, my mother quickly finished her PhD and obtained a professorship at an American university, then quit academia for industry because it paid better and gave her freer reign. I went on to describe my father, Daddy, as I called him. I spoke of his medical practice and all the patients he'd saved. I talked for so long that Professor Zhang forgot lunch and had to run to catch his afternoon class. After he left, apologizing, thanking me hastily for the visit, I stood dumbfounded in the hall, staring at his name on the door. When I finally left the university, I was exhausted. It was evening. My heels dragged on the pavement and I stumbled over nothing. Somehow, I reached my hostel.